Welcome to In Our Experience, a podcast exploring the many ways of living well with Nourish Yoga Training. I'm your host, Harriet, yoga teacher and founder of Nourish. This week, my guest is Tom McAtee. Tom is the principal consultant with People Mix, a management consulting practice that helps organizations go from nothing to something, go from something to something else, or go from something to nothing. Tom is also my dad. We talked about valuing people's contributions, finding balance, and also about unionization and how we can terminate our relationships without building dependency with our clients. Thanks so much, Dad, for joining me. I had a really fun time chatting with you. Here's a conversation. Hi, Dad. Hi. (laughs) Welcome to my podcast. Thank you. (laughs) So lovely for you to fly all the way from Australia (laughs) to join me. Yes. I appreciate the opportunity to just see what's going on and be a part of it. No worries. And should the should the Australian Taxation Office be listening to the podcast? <laughs> this is a valid marketing trip for Dad. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, we're going to get started, as I do with every episode, asking what's nourishing you this week. And as I always say, it can be simple or small. It can be big. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll go first. Uh, I'll share mine first. Okay. Um, I'm just I'm going to go for a simple, easy one today. Sometimes I go with profound ones, yes. but simple, easy one today. Today is that just before we came here, we stopped by the Missing Bean on Maudlin Road and I had a very delicious sticky toffee apple cake thing. Mm. And I'm not normally a sweet person. Mm. I don't have a sweet tooth, mm. but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It surprised me when you chose it. I know. I'm no, yeah. It was a bit <laughs> left field. Yeah, it's a bit left field for Harry, <laughs> but that's okay. It, it was nice to see you enjoying it. And yeah. 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 Look, um, for me, it's going to sound a bit corny, but what's nourishing me this week is obviously being here with you. Um, You don't fly halfway around the world to see your daughter and and not be thrilled by it. And it's just really important to to share time. Um, Mm. You know, people often have heard me say that love for a child is spelt Mm T-I-M-E and that in quality relationships, you have to spend time with people. Yes. And so just being here in physical, in presence, is mm. is really wonderful. Yeah. Um, at a more profound level in a way, or that's as profound as you can get really as family, mm. is um, exercising my right as a British citizen. I know. Where <laughs> we sit here two, yes. two British citizens. Yes. So... When did you when did you get your citizenship? Uh, well, I feel like an eighty pound pom um, because yeah, Dad cheated. <laughs> yeah, it took me seven years and ten thousand pounds. Yeah, and it cost me about I don't know whatever many weeks and eighty pound whatever <laughs> <laughs> because my mother, your grandmother, was born in the, in Leicester in mm-hmm. here in the UK, and my your mum, my wife Suzanne, wanted to hi mum, she listens. <laughs> she wanted to get her you know, passport citizenship, and she applied for both of us and she didn't and I got it. So mine was a real through the back door in the sense that I didn't make the effort, you know, your mother did. But it's just really nice because we did come here and live in the UK in the early 2000s Mm -hmm. um, and I came in on an entry of abode, certificate of entitlement to right of abode, Mm -hmm. Um, and we were here for three years on an expatriate assignment I did with Shell in the headquarters in London, Mm -hmm. Waterloo, and... There's always been that part of me that felt connected to the country. Mm-hmm. So in terms of nourishing, it's, you know, um, just nice to, when I came through Heathrow, go to the UK Citizens Care. And when we sat down at the pub the other day, 
I just felt I'm not a visitor here. I'm not mm. here on a visa. I'm here on my passport. Mm-hmm. And it's just so different, a feeling, because mm. you, you, you know, very few people I think in life get that opportunity. Mm. You know, I felt like James Bond in Dubai, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I left Australia on my Australian passport Yeah, and I entered the UK on my British passport. Mm. So who am I today? You know, sort of thing. And which Tom? Yeah, which Tom turns up, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's been really exciting to Aww. just and, and nourishing because it's just something that that connection with this country has been here a long time. Mm. Just being here and sharing time with you, babe. Wonderful. Well, thanks for sharing mm. your nourishing mm. thing with me, yeah, Dad. Yeah. It's very, it's lovely to mm. have you here too. And uh, well, let's talk a little bit about you. So, mm-hmm. if you could tell me a little bit about your background mm. and how you would describe what you do. Sure. Look, um, in classic Tom style, I can give you a very short answer or a very long answer. Um, There's no the, in between. <laughs> the, the short answer is um, I've been a practitioner for, gosh, 45 years now in human resource management. Mm-hmm. So, um, so my background is in hiring people, firing people, settling strikes. Mm-hmm. Um and that comes about through the fact I did primary and tertiary in a country town called Bundaberg in Queensland, mm-hmm. tertiary in Brisbane in Australia, and mm-hmm. way back in the early 70s, right? Mm. Uh, as an undergraduate, I knew I wanted to do HR management. It wasn't called that then. It was called personnel, mm. you know. Um, but it has a whole mix of things that attracted me in my brain. So it had everything from psychology to economics to economic statistics to data computers, mm. legal studies, mm. all that, right? Um, and so I was very fortunate. So I went to uni when I was 17, graduated when I was 20 with my degree mm-hmm. um, and I've been working in HRs, you know, or people and culture, whatever book you want to pick up, um, in it as a practitioner. Um, what I do today is the last eight years, I've been a sole trader in mm-hmm. my own business called People Mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I help companies go from nothing to something mm-hmm. or from something to something else. Mm-hmm. Or the other way, you can go from something to nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the point of that is that people are a fundamental part of that. Mm. Um, and and in my practice, some people call it my ministry nearly, <laughs> very passionate about this, I, I work on the integration of people, mm-hmm. economics and technology. Mm-hmm. So it's, I call it my pet theory, PET, mm-hmm. okay? And, and in that I call the business people mix mm-hmm. because helping organisations with the people side of their business mm. is an important part of the mix of the business being successful, mm-hmm. but it's not the only part. Mm. Because if the economics aren't right, <laughs> your costs are out the door mm. <laughs> or your technology is obsolete, you know, I could talk for hours on this, then it doesn't matter what I do with the people side. Mm. So it's all got to be in balance. Mm-hmm. Right? But, but I'm, you know, have a history. As a senior leader in corporations, I've been on many executive management teams. We're talking, um, you know, multi-billion dollar businesses, right? mm-hmm. Um where, you know, big, large mining companies, power generating companies, mineral processing companies, mm-hmm. um, you know. So in terms of my background, it's all to do with people and business. Mm. Um, but what I do today is I help small to medium enterprises. Mm-hmm. I no longer want the big corporates. Sure. Um, you know, people can look at my resume, LinkedIn, whatever. Um, you know, I've been working with companies people know, like Shell, 
and BOC gases and ICI and West Farmers and, you know, mm. like how many zeros do you want? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. um, but today I help small to mediums because they, they cherish what you do, mm. they value what you do, mm-hmm. and they pay on time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's a positive. Yeah, yeah. Everybody know. likes being paid on time. Yeah, look, you know, I, I always tell a bit of a joke about what I do, and people go, "So who are you? What do you do?" And I go, "Well, I'm a member of the 3M Club." And they go, "3M?" I go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a part missionary, and mm-hmm. then I have a lot of zeal and zest and passion, and you know, um, uh, you know, again, these things roll off the tongue, but but I talk about fanning the flames. Mm-hmm. And they go, what do you mean, fan the flames, Tom? Well, I go, look, I'm a facilitator. I'm an advisor, I'm a negotiator. That's Mm -hmm. what I do, right? And in that story, if there's flames of change, Mm -hmm. then it's like flaming the ashes of your fire. You can get Mm -hmm. it going quicker. Yeah, (laughs) sure. People like me can come in and help you move more quickly, right? Yeah. The other part of 3M is sort of part mercenary, right? Mm -hmm. I mentioned the small, medium companies pay on time. The large companies don't, right? Mm. Then, you know, I don't do it for nothing, you know? Yeah. (laughs) You pay, you know? And then the final M in 3M is misfit. Right? Mm-hmm. Go, oh, what do you mean misfit? Well, I go, well, you know, characters like me don't easily fit in a box. Now, you have a history of causing trouble. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do. And, um, you know, as your mother likes to remind me, I, I, you know, one of my deficits is I don't suffer fools easily, right? I know that. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I have a real strong value around honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, what you see is what you get with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I encourage people to speak up mm-hmm. and I will speak up. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I won't sit quietly by if I think things aren't being done correctly or properly. I, mm-hmm. I, will, I will call it out. Mm. And, you know, in that sense, you know, I don't fit neatly <laughs> into sure. a box, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think, you know, what I do today as a sole trader, principal consultant, whatever you call it, um, works well because I can dip in and out of clients. Um, if they want to re-engage me, that's great. If they don't, that's okay um, because I don't have to be anyone else but me. And mm. if my style helps you, you know, fan the flames and fan the change and help you move from something to something else, that's mm. great. If it doesn't, well, that's okay. Mm. Yeah. So You know, one of the things that is always interesting when it comes back to me Mm. is in like, you know, when I'm talking to people that I work with or, um, you know, friends, colleagues, Mm. whoever, um, is they do, they say a couple of things and I feel Mm. like a bit of a dickhead being like, here are the nice things people say about me. (laughs) But they tell me that I'm great to work for. Mm. Um, And part of that is that I have very good communication, mm. but also that I pay invoices on time, oh, yeah. <laughs> usually. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you know, I. Th- but I think a lot of a lot of what makes me feel very comfortable running a business because, mm. like, I didn't I didn't go to business school. Mm. I sort mm. of, you know, fell into mm. running mm. a business. Yep. But I do think a lot of what allows me to feel so comfortable in that space is is knowing that, you know, the the people are really at the the center of of what mm. I do, whether mm. that's mm. my team that I work with, whether that's, you know, the students, mm. whether that's mm. the people that follow us yep. on Instagram. Yep. Um, if you really prioritize people and prioritize those relationships, mm. Mm. then, you know, 
yes, you need to have the money right. And yes, mm-hmm. you need to have the sort of the systems right. Yep. But if you don't have people, you don't really have anything. Correct. And the the way I explain it to people, and I've been, you know, the chief HR officer for the organisation um, for a total enterprise, you know, you're, so you're out there at the you know, executive committee level, all that sort of stuff, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, you're putting forward your argument for why we should invest in people, mm-hmm. as an example, okay? And again, give um, you know, people understanding the sort of industries that I mentioned that I've worked in, be it mining, energy, power generation, mineral processing, mm-hmm. You, you, you know, you're talking capital equipment, you know, worth literally billions of dollars. Right? Mm. Like right now I'm doing a piece of work in Australia for a client who has um, a number of power stations mm-hmm. and I'm negotiating the industrial agreement for one of those power stations. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, pretty essential stuff, right? Mm. <laughs> and, and I often talk about in these industries the concept of what I call catastrophic risk. Mm. And that is that if you don't get your processes and procedures and tasks done rightly today, you die. Mm. That's sort of a pretty dramatic thing to say, but that's the reality. Mm. You know, I've been head of HR for companies with underground coal mines. Mm. You know, people can often connect that to risk, right? Mm. You know, if you don't do it right today on this shift, you don't go home. Yeah. Okay? So there's a very serious side to me in yeah. that aspect where as the HR manager, I've also been the head of health, safety and environment for those corporations. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and in that sense, I say, look, we wouldn't hesitate to invest money in mm. maintenance servicing those machines, mm. you know, like, no, no issue. Well, people <laughs> are the enablers mm. of that machinery. Mm. Why aren't we investing in them? Mm. And as part of my drive in, in organisations, I have a simple phrase, I just call it ever better. Because mm. some organisations I've worked for have been incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. Right? And you go, how do you motivate people when their gross profit margins are already at 70%, 80%? Mm. Right? It's just like amazing stuff, right? Mm. And I go, well, that's yesterday's record. We can have pride in that without arrogance, mm. but we can do it ever better. Mm. <laughs> and so it isn't just about having the capacity capacity financially to invest in people, but it's also being able and willing mm. <laughs> to want to do it. And I often use that argument about invest in plant, invest in people, mm-hmm. you know, because without them, your business doesn't function. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think it's a really, I think it's a really important point that often gets lost when I think particularly as businesses get larger and um, I'm thinking recently here of, I'm not sure if you saw it, but the... Amazon workers in Mm -hmm. New York Mm -hmm. have voted to form a union, which is like the first unionization Mm -hmm. within Amazon workers ever. Yes. Um, And it's a really big deal because these are easily some of the most, you know, exploited and like, you know, poorest working conditions Mm -hmm. in, you know, in in that industry, I guess. Mm. Um, And I guess, you know, it's, it's often difficult for businesses, I, I guess as businesses grow, they tend to lose sight of of the people okay. um, because yep. you get f- you get further removed from them as the sort of I guess the the management mm, very easily, and we're in danger of going to one of my real hot spots here, <laughs> um, which is the whole issue of you know where do unions fit and so on. Because I've negotiated, I did my first industrial agreement negotiation in nineteen. 19- Gosh, 80, 80, 81, mm. right, at the copper refinery in Townsville in North Queensland. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and I was the note taker, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I still remember it to this day because the um, company I was working for was the largest company in Australia at the time, Mount Isa Mines. Mm-hmm. And I was the young junior, you know, HR graduate sort of, yeah. you know, kid take the notes, but I was in the room mm-hmm. watching this negotiation take place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always said ever since that companies get the unions they deserve. That's interesting. Right? And that if there's a leadership vacuum, lead, unions will fill it. Yeah. So I've spent a lot of my career um, helping leaders to understand how to lead people. Yeah. And it isn't about ex- to the, trying to exclude the unions. It's about trying to understand how can you work with unions. Mm. Um, you know, people here at the moment, like in Australia, there's a union, the CFMEU, Construction, Forestry, mm. Mining, Energy Union, mm. you know, which is seen as a, you know, like you're negotiating with the CFMEU, Tom. I go, yeah. I go, aren't you, aren't you scared? You know, like, aren't you worried? I go, mm. no. They're, they're, you treat people reasonably mm. and it doesn't matter what background they come from. Mm. <laughs> You know, you can negotiate. You mm. can have a conversation. You can find out what their what their ask is, what their riches, as I often say. And if I can scratch it, great. If I can't, I can't. Mm. But that comes back to some of those values around being very honest with people, mm. right? And in the negotiations with people, I don't, um, I don't know, bullshit them. Put a blunt. Mm. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have a very robust conversation, mm. but but we can do it remaining dignified and you know, calm, you know, that makes sense. Um, but with Amazon's story, you know, when I heard that, I go, oh, you know, no, you know I don't know the enterprise. I mean, yeah. you read about it, but I don't know yeah, it. Yeah. But unions will form in situations where people feel they're not getting a fair go, yeah. where that they feel like they're being maybe taken advantage of, yeah. uh, et cetera. And, mm. um, you know, and again, those things don't sit with my values. No. <laughs> I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. Like any organization, I'm, I'm very wary of any sort of form of institutionalization mm. in general, mm. whether that's, um, you know, whether that's a union or whether that's a business or mm. a, a church or, yep. you know, yep. whatever the case may be. Mm. Um, and I think it's, I think unions can work really well where they're working to serve community that is, as you say, sort of being taken advantage of and are marginalised. Yep. Yep. Now, like, maybe speaking out my ass here, but mm. the CFMEU, mm. they're not exactly representing people that aren't earning money. No. Like, that has fair. to be one of the richest unions yes. in Australia. Yeah, no, it's a fair, fair call. The, the CFMEU, by way of example, splits into two divisions. Mm. Um, there's the building and construction division, yeah. which you'd associate with you know, high-rise buildings and stuff sure. like that. And then there's the mining and energy side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, um, the lead negotiator only last week before I came out here mm. <laughs> said to me, Tom, we need to correct you. Um, we're no longer the CFMEU. We are now known as the mining and energy union mm. in that we – that division, mm. mining and energy union division, we have now divorced ourselves from the mm. CFMEU. And so the building construction guys can go their own way. The point you raise is absolutely valid, though, mm. in that um, certainly in the mining side of MEU, mm. right, and I have a long history in the mining yeah. union side, yeah, very well paid workers, no doubt. Right? Yeah. Um, like, that's not to say that the conditions aren't, you know, that they don't work hard. Correct, I don't correct. mean to say that, no, but. No. 
you know, it's not like they're Amazon workers no, being paid like completely different $3 world. an Correct. hour. Correct. Com- completely um, right. Um, and in that sense, and again, you know, this is part of why I've so, you know, survived 45 years, I suppose, mm. in this field, um, is that you've got to find a sense of balance. Sure. And and in the wage negotiations, which I've led many, I always say right up front, I'm never going to attempt in this negotiation to convince you that you're well paid. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. Okay. You'll have your own view of that. But what I hope to show you through evidence and all sorts of good data is you're fairly paid. Mm. Right. So there's this sense of external equity against other jobs in these markets. Mm. So, and, and that's you know, what mm. I can show you is that you're mm. fairly paid. Um, on, on, I know I can't convince you you're well paid. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a yoga teachers union that's been recently formed in the UK mm. uh, by friends of mine yeah. <laughs> um, who uh, it's been formed as a branch of the IWGB, so the International Workers, mm-hmm. Workers Union. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's been a really interesting process and I think it's really necessary. Like yoga teachers aren't – that we exist in this really interesting space mm-hmm. because we're self-employed mm-hmm. but we don't have a lot of the freedoms that are actually associated with being a self-employed contractor. Mm-hmm. So technically mm-hmm. we fall under what's called a limby worker mm-hmm. status. Mm-hmm. So you have different categories mm-hmm. of worker yep. in the yep. UK. Mm-hmm. We can link to some information about this in the show notes because I think mm-hmm. it's a really important mm-hmm. uh, important conversation and important information for yoga teachers to be aware of. But, you know, so things like, you know, if you were really self-employed, you'd be able to subcontract. Yep. You'd be, you know, you, there's all sorts of other things like, you know, I can't really remember. Now. I should, oh, I should nah. know this. Well, I'm sorry like to Laura. I'm sorry to Laura and Simran. <laughs> I, I failed you in remembering what a limby worker is. But as a limby worker, you're not an employee, mm-hmm. but you are entitled to many more rights mm-hmm. than a self-employed mm-hmm. person. Yep. And I think one of the things that the Yoga Teachers Union is really trying to do is help people understand that because you yeah. have studios who take horrible advantage of yeah. teachers. I mean, just in, in Oxford, there's a studio where you're paid two pounds per student mm. and sometimes you will have one student. student. Yeah. Um, and Like a piece rate. Yeah. 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 And it's it's just it doesn't value the contribution at all. No, you know? and, no, no, no. And again, you know, often people say to me, Tom, in Australia, they talk about you know blue and pink. You know, blue's the capitalist and pink's the you know the worker. And they go, we can't work out. Are you blue or pink? And I go, I'm neither. Right? I'm about what's fair and reasonable. Mm. And so you know, I've always said, and um, I'll give you the A word I use here. You know, when I would go onto a, a work site um, as the head of HR into a corporation, right? Mm. Within 24 hours, I would want to go and meet the head of the unions for this organisation. Yeah. And I give him the A conversation, very mm. simple conversation. I go, mate, in some instances, if I think what you're arguing for is fair and reasonable, I'll mm. be the best advocate you've ever had in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. If what I think you're asking for is unfair and unreasonable, I'll be the biggest arsehole you've ever seen. <laughs> and which part of no don't you understand? Okay? Sure. And I go, fair enough. I said, yeah, it's again back to those values of honesty, right? Mm. You know, what you see is what you get. And, and look, you know, if I think and just 
you know, in a way I applaud the unions for the work, you know, at mm. Amazon, right? Because mm. if the organisation isn't respecting the contribution, like I'll give you two pounds per student through the door and you got one student for the hour, pay you two, buck, two pounds per that mm. hour, it just says bullshit. You don't value the contribution. Mm. You don't value the skills, the experience, the knowledge this person's bringing to your organisation. Like, mm. you know, Tom Rant, right? Mm. Um, and I go, man, let me be the union organiser. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And I often have joked, you know, with people, you know, my next life I'll come back as a union organiser. You know, because if people aren't being treated fairly, who's going to fight for them? Mm. And, and, you know, and I say to employers that I help in this area, mm. like, you know, it's funny how you, I've never seen myself as an IR expert, right? Mm. Um, Industrial uh, relations. Patients, yeah. Um, but I've ended up there in my career because people often are really fearful of it. Mm. And also when I, when I was on seat, I was very fortunate, you know, like God, 30 plus years ago, I first made an, an executive HR manager. Mm. And whenever I've been on seat as executive HR manager, I've never had an, an industrial relations officer work for me. Mm. Never. And the reason I say that is because I reckon they only justified their own existence mm. and created disputes. Sure. So they felt good about themselves and had something to do. Mm. And I witnessed that at a place, I won't name it, where I wasn't the executive HR manager. I was a young buck coming through and I saw that. Yeah. And I thought, this is bullshit, right? Yeah. So whenever I get on seat mm. as the exec HR manager, I'll handle it myself. Mm. I will be the IR officer. Now, as an executive HR manager, you are very time poor, mm. right? So you don't have time to create disputes. <laughs> <laughs> so you start looking for how am I going to build a work organisation? How am I going to build a, a working environment here, be it physical or virtual, mm. okay, that doesn't need disputes to create a feeling of reward and satisfaction and things like that. Right? Mm. So anyway, I've ended up being by de facto, therefore, not just the executive HR manager, but also the default IR manager. Mm -hmm. right? And that's gone on for 30 years. And, and now I no longer wish to be in the executive corporate HR world sure. on the executive leadership team. So younger folks can have a crack at that. Sure. Um, but I've got this tail now. Mm. of IR experience mm -hmm. that people go, wow, you've, you've been involved in it since 81. I go, yeah, <laughs> and you can still smile and I'm still negotiating, right? I, you know, I'm doing two industrial agreements at the moment, as I mentioned, one for a power station, mm. um, which isn't that difficult in a way in that it's an existing power station and it's a renewal of an existing enterprise agreement. Sure. Okay. I've got a second one at the moment on the go, which is a very unusual one, which is a corporate office. Right? And normally you don't find in Australia enterprise agreements in a corporate office. You think of the factory floor, you know, mm. you, you, right? Yeah. And this corporation has been formed as a new corporation by the release, inverted commas, the hiring of employees from two other organisations in the same industry mm. and in coming into the new organisation, yeah. which is a clean energy company making green electrons, mm -hmm. they've brought with them the instruments, the industrial instruments they had in their two other workplaces. Interesting. So now we have to form a new one mm. for the new organisation. Mm. And it's just this confluence of two different cultures, mm. which is reflected in two different enterprise agreements. Mm. And I've just, before I got on the plane last Friday, I wrote them a new industrial agreement mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's now out for them to have a look at where you go, man, you know, because the, the point I'm getting to here is that the in you know, industrial agreements, that sort of stuff, they're enabling, back to the earlier point about people, they're enabling instruments to get to the culture that you want to have. Mm -hmm. They don't create the culture. 
Mm-hmm. They just enable it to, yeah. you know, they support it. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's really interesting. I guess one of the questions I have is that, you know, you've been working in this field for 45 years and you're still here now. You sort yeah. of, you like half retired yeah. and then unretired <laughs> yourself. Yes, yeah. Um, and I guess I'm I'm curious about what it is that keeps you interested. Like most people uh, do not stay in the same career for 45 yes, years. Yes, yes. Um, and, yeah, I'm curious about what keeps you interested and yeah. engaged and motivated with yeah, it. Yeah, no. I think um, I did a job for a client once. Quick story to try and explain that. I worked for Shell uh, for, for a while, right? mm-hmm. And very fortunate, I had the, you know, head of HR for one of their big mining sites in Australia. That went well. Then I went to Melbourne in the late 90s mm-hmm. um, as an internal consultant, mm-hmm. um, helping shell companies across Asia Pacific. So three weeks out of four is out of Australia, mm-hmm. um, sorting out shit, put mm-hmm. a blunt. Um, I'm good at sorting out shit. It's what I do. And I say to people, what do you do? I just deal with shit. That's what I do. So in that sense, it shell had its own internal consulting team. Because mm. not everything gets aired publicly. Sure. <laughs> so I was part of the internal consulting team and I'd be across the Asia Pacific somewhere sorting out stuff, right? Mm. And, and that went well. Um, and in that job I did in Melbourne, Shell had a relation with a couple of big brand name companies in Australia. I won't name them for confidentiality. But one of them I was lent to because I developed a process and it comes back to your question about what keeps you going. And in that external client. It wasn't a fee-for-service job. It mm. was just a love job, Because right? mm-hmm. I developed a process inside Shell where in 90 days you would tackle the most serious problem the company had right there, right then, mm. okay? And it had to be the most serious problem. And we would put the brightest of the brightest together and we had 90 days to achieve Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. 30 days to analyse, 30 days to develop and 30 days to execute and implement and bank the first check. Mm. And I would facilitate and coach these teams. And one of the big partners to Shell in Australia heard about this and said, would you lend us Tom? (laughs) We have a big problem in our company. Would you lend him to us and run this process? Mm. And I was asked and I went out and worked with this external partner of Shell's in Australia um, for 90 days Mm -hmm. and we solved it. And at the end of the presentation, the end of the 90 days, the, the head of this organisation just said, I'm, I'm blown away. Mm. And what we've learned is that Tom doesn't stand for Tom. <laughs> T stands for teamwork. Uh-huh. So in 90 days, Tom has shown us that when you really pull together mm. the brightest of the brightest with a very serious intent and work as a team, mm-hmm. and I developed them as a team, mm-hmm. you can you can achieve amazing things. Mm. O was for opportunity. Mm-hmm. So by working as a team, we've actually opened the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And M was for mastery. And he said, well, I've never seen some, someone who's a, such a master of their craft. Mm. And that's the long story to what keeps me going mm. is it's not ego, it's not status, right? mm. but I really do, and I know myself, I think, pretty well. Mm-hmm. One of the things is if I get interested in something, mm. I have to master it, mm. okay? So there's this issue of mastery, I call it. Mm-hmm. It's not arrogance, it's not expertise, it's just mastery of your craft, right? And And I look at what I do as a craft, yeah? just yeah, like yeah. A, anyone else swings a hammer or a screwdriver, doesn't matter. Whatever I you know, again, I'm on record many times for saying this, I don't judge people what they do. Don't care, okay? Mm. 
every great leader is willing to vacuum the floor. Just don't care. But whatever you choose to do, please choose to be the best that's ever been at it. Sure. Right? And that's that sense of mastery okay. and, and confidence. And a quick example I'm sure people can relate to. I had um, well, people say, you go to concert chair, yeah, go to concert chair. Yeah. And there's one concert to this day that just stands out in my memory of many concerts. A lot of them just fade. Mm -hmm. But this one, I can just sit there and relive it and relive it because the musician demonstrated in that concert absolute mastery Mm. of their craft. Mm -hmm. And it was Neil Young. Mm. And it was the live Rust tour. And so people go check it out. You know, like it's just the most amazing concert you can see. But, But when he performed, he was in complete and utter control. Mm. And it's not about control freak stuff. He just had complete confidence, complete competence mm. and, and the mastery. So, you know, 45 years on, um, then, you know, um, you know, it sounds weird, but I still read the Fair Work Act, you know, and if ever people want to go and look at a piece of legislation in Australia that's the most social legislation I'll ever find is the Industrial Relations Act or the Fair Work Act, as it's called. Mm. And this thing would weigh, have to go three kilos. Wow. And I mean, it just gets your head around it. It's just yeah. cute. You know, I still read it, <laughs> you because know, if you want to be an industrial, you know, in this stuff, mm. you, you know, I use employment lawyers for expertise. Sure. That makes sense? Yeah. And that's the difference between expertise and mastery mm-hmm. is I don't tend to be expert. In, I'm not in the IR Act or the Fair Work Act. There are people who do that. Yeah. And I use them as required. But it's about mastery of your craft. Mm. And that's one side. The other side is just contribution. Mm. And again, back to the early conversation, if people are at the core of what you do, they're part of that key mix of what you do, mm. then, you know, by helping leaders manage their people ever better, you can create an environment for people where they can be satisfied and make a real contribution. So, mm. yeah, stuff like that. Um, and I get paid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, being paid is nice. But a quick example, I, yeah, I, did, I did try to retire, um, you know, I went, you know. I've been, you got a bit bored. Yeah, I think that's, I just, think that's the long yeah, story cut short. You, you know, got a bit bored. I did run away, you know. I was, and somebody uh, was like, Tom, can you help? Yeah, and you were like, I, I always tell the story of Notting Hill, my favourite movie, right? Um, <laughs> there's the scene in Notting Hill. Welcome to my childhood, my parents' favourite movie Notting is Notting Hill. <laughs> and there's that scene where Julie Roberts is standing in the bookstore in front of Hugh Grant and yeah. says, I'm just a girl <laughs> standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. And one of the things about a consultant that you have to be careful of, um, if people are interested, go, go and get a book written by Peter Block called Flawless, F-L-A-W-L-E-W-S, Flawless mm-hmm. Consulting, right? Mm-hmm. Peter Block, absolute great book, right? And, and one of the things I can do, um, and it's not arrogance here, is I can synthesise a lot of complex information into simple ways to explain it. Sure. And you can read Block's book, right, and I summarise it up in one word, right, which is said fit. <laughs> Now, the word doesn't exist, right? <laughs> Wait, Dad, is it an acronym? Oh, yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah, I think, it's an acronym. I think we're at what? <laughs> Six or oh, seven acronyms sure. at this point. Yeah. Love it. C-D-F-I-T. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's how you consult with people, right? You know, C's contracting in. Yeah. What are we going to, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Yeah. E's about the entry. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you actually manage the entry in of a consultant? It's really important. It's like a rock in a pond to people, mm-hmm. right? The D is for data, mm-hmm. so you need to collect data, okay, mm-hmm. so C-E-D. F is for formulate, mm-hmm. so what might you do differently here? Mm-hmm. I is implement, mm-hmm. okay, and T is terminate. 
Mm. It's really important as a consultant, you have to terminate the relationship because mm. you don't want to build client dependency. Yes. Okay, because you want to move on and do other things. Otherwise, you get bored in the one pond. Yes. That's why you're a sole trader. It's why you're not. Remember the misfit story? Yes. Okay. So in that sense, the client I'm, I'm helping at the moment, I helped them. I went in in February 19 for three days a week for three months. Yeah. December 20. You're still there three years later. <laughs> December 20, I finally terminated the relationship, right, and ran away. And then February of 21, mm. I get a phone call because I've now sold up with your mother, run away to Victoria where we've lived a couple of times and love the cold. It's like the closest you can get to living in Australia to being in the UK sort of. Mm. And the phone rings and I go, look, Tom, we know you've run away, you know, but if we really get stuck, would you be available? Of course I would. Yeah. No no, didn't hear anything. All good. Roll the clock forward to July 21. Phone rings again. They go, mm. mate, we're in the shit. Um, right? Yeah. The guy that we thought would be great hasn't worked out great. Rah, rah, rah. Whole thing. Sure. Right? Will you come back? So I said, look, in August last year, I'll come back for six months. Mm. Right? And I'll get you out of the poo with these two, two industrial agreements and so on and so on. So on. Anyway, January 22, they say, look, the six months is nearly up, mate. Wouldn't mind going another six, would you? <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, but I want April off. I want to go and see my daughter. <laughs> so in that storyline, I'm still there. Yeah. And what's good news, though, is that it's like green shoots on a tree, right? Mm. You can see they're getting their head around this stuff. I can see that I will be able to terminate, mm. right? Um, and, you know, and that just creates freedom of choice for me. Mm about what I choose to do with my time because, you know, um, that's sort of the professional side. Um, and then, yeah, so I've sort of retired, not retired, sort of retired, not retired. Um, and, but if interesting pieces of work come along that are stimulating mm. and challenging and, and I can ever develop, you know, my own skills, happy to have a go again mm. if fits in with my playing golf. Wonderful. Well, we have run out of time today, Dan, but there, there are lots of interesting things in there that um, I think will be, be interesting for yoga teachers, particularly the stuff around terminating, like how how do you manage those sort of exit relationships with students as correct, well as correct. something I think people should think about. Yes. But okay. for now, right. where where can where can people find you if they're interested? Yeah, sure. If you want to connect up, easiest way is go to peoplemix.com. Mm -hmm. That's uh, I have one page, right? So my website is just one page, and it says, "Hi, I'm Tom." So here's how to get in touch. Here's with how me. to get in touch with this. So you just go to www.peoplemix.com, and, and you'll find me. Um, you can find me through LinkedIn, mm -hmm. uh, or obviously, you know, you'll see my email details. It's pretty straightforward. It's tom.mackatee at peoplemix.com, and uh, happy to help people where I can. Wonderful. Well, Thanks. thanks so much, Dad. Oh, great to share time with you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to In Our Experience. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. We love hearing what you think and it makes a really big difference. In the meantime, until the next episode comes out, why not check us out on our Instagram account at Nourish Yoga Training or pop us an email via our website. See you soon.